When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $15.99. Save $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Happening now, breaking news. CNN's exclusive new poll shows Donald Trump maintaining a narrow lead over President Joe Biden nationwide as Biden fights for votes in the pivotal battleground state of Michigan. And both candidates gear up for their potential rematch this fall. Stand by for our revealing snapshot of the race and new reaction. Also breaking, sources say the former chief financial officer of the Trump organization, Alan Weisselberg, is in talks to potentially plead guilty to a perjury charge tied to a civil fraud investigation. We'll tell you what that could mean for him and possibly for Trump. Plus, historic he testimony. The, the, the Michigan Senator's mother games. on the stand defending uh. her actions as prosecutors attempt to hold her criminally responsible for the slaughter carried out by her son. Welcome to our viewers here in the United States and all around the world. Wolf Blitzer is off today. I'm Alex Markward, and you're in the Situation Room. This is CNN Breaking News. We do begin with that breaking news. CNN's exclusive new nationwide poll showing how voters view the widely anticipated Trump-Biden rematch right now. CNN political director David Chalian is here with us with those top line results. So, David, how does this result now compare with previous head to head polling between Biden and Trump? And how do voters feel about this potential rematch? Well, Alex, it is a remarkably stable race. Let me show you the brand new numbers uh, in this poll conducted by SSRS for CNN. And you can see 49 percent to 45 percent. Trump over Biden, just outside the margin of error. Trump with a narrow lead. And look at that. And to our October-November poll, identical. The race has been frozen in place there. You asked how do Americans feel about this rematch? Uh, Not great is the answer, Alex. I mean, both of these men are deeply unpopular. Look here. Trump is at 39% favorable, 55% unfavorable. Biden's at 34% favorable, 59% unfavorable. And then take a look at the different motivating factors for Biden and Trump supporters. I mean, what you see here is that Donald Trump is the factor in this 2024 race. So among Biden supporters, 68% of them say they're casting their ballot for Biden as a protest vote in opposition to Donald Trump, whereas it's an inverse for Trump supporters. 60% of Trump supporters are actually casting their ballot in affirmative fashion for Donald Trump. Only 40% say they're casting their ballot for Trump to oppose Joe Biden, Alex. So, David, when you dig a little bit deeper, what are voters saying about how they feel about Trump and Biden? Well, Take a look at Joe Biden's overall approval rating. For the better part of the last year, he has been operating in a four or five point band here. His approval rating in this poll is at 38% approval. But just look how stubborn his approval rating has been and stubbornly low, I, I might add here. And then we asked Republicans what their biggest concern about Trump is, Democrats what their biggest concern about Biden is. Among Republican and Republican leaning voters in this poll, Alex, 19% 
the plurality said they have no concerns about Donald Trump as their nominee. 15% said their biggest concern is his tact, his mouth, obviously uh, Donald Trump's uh, behavior. Uh, only 8% say the indictments or the legal issues he's facing are their biggest concern about Donald Trump. Look at the difference, though, when you ask Democrats and Democratic leaners about their concerns about Biden. 46% have one thing that concerns them his age, obviously the oldest president to serve. And this is something that the Biden campaign is going to have to address from now all the way through next November, Alex. All right, some fascinating numbers and lots to dig into. David Chalian, thank you very much. Uh, let's dig into these numbers with our, our panel of political experts. Uh, thank you all for joining me tonight. Sure. David Axelrod, I want to start with you. Mm -hmm. You have been quite vocal in warning Democrats and expressing your concern about President Biden's reelection chances. So when you look at these new polling numbers, how worried do they make you? Well, I think these numbers are pretty consistent with what we've seen. I wouldn't jump to the conclusion that they are foreshadowing what's going to happen because we're a long way away. And there are certain numbers in, in here that uh, would give one hope uh, for their relative measures on who is mainstream and who is extreme, for example, which runs right into Biden's message. But uh, there are signs here, and we've seen it consistently. He's not doing as well as he should with younger voters who are even here. He's not doing as well as he should with uh, voters of color. Remember, he won African-American voters with 88% of the vote in 2020. He's not uh, nearly there now. I think combined voters of color are 57%. He won Hispanic voters two to one. Uh, so uh, these are... Uh, these are very concerning numbers, and he's got a lot of work to do. He's got to throw this thing into a comparative frame and stay there from now until November. A lot of work. Um, Gloria Borger, on the Trump side of things, he, of course, attempted to overturn the 2020 election. He's now facing uh, 91 criminal felony accounts. He was just found liable uh, by a jury for sexual abuse. Let's look at these numbers. His unfavorable number, however, is lower than Biden's. You can see right there. And he has a higher favorability rating. So what do you make of that? Well, I, I make the fact that uh, he's very popular among Republicans <clears throat> and he can do no wrong. When you look at the numbers, for example, about these 91 felony charges and whether they're concerned about it, it's in the single digits. They're not concerned about it. So he remains usually popular among among Republicans. And Joe Biden is usually unpopular among Republicans. And so you have two unpopular candidates here. Let's face it, neither one of them uh, thrills the public. And the matchup, as our polls show, doesn't thrill the public either. And, and David, back to you. Sorry, one second, Alice. We, we will get to you in just a moment. Uh, uh, David, the, 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 how do you explain that, the, 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 what you're seeing on the Trump side of things? Uh, that, that people, I mean, look, uh, the indictments, if you're asking me why they are so dismissive of the indictments, these indictments have actually helped Trump with Republicans. They've been the fuel that, have, that has propelled him forward toward the nomination because it, they have bought his narrative that this is political retribution uh, against him. And so they've dismissed this. It's interesting to me that as many people, uh, Republicans, have concerns about his personal behavior mm -hmm. as they do. And ultimately, this could really, we saw Trump on the night that he was triumphant in New Hampshire, acting like a guy who had been beaten in a really obnoxious way. Uh, he's got, we got 10 months to watch the Trump show. I'm not sure how much people are going to like it. Alice, I want to ask you about another set of numbers uh, in this fascinating poll. We asked voters about how they view Biden's and Trump's policies. Take a look at this. 63% say Trump's views are too extreme compared to just 38% for Biden. 
voters say that President Joe Biden's views are generally mainstream. So do you see that as a a warning sign for for Trump and then more broadly for Republicans? It it should be because we all know that general elections are typically won and decided by what we call the mushy middle, the independents, the people in the middle of the voting electorate. The the right uh, are key in the primary elections and the left are key for Biden in the, the primary election. But in the general election, those people that do not want to see extreme views on either side are going to make up the difference. So I think uh, Trump would be better served if he listens to his campaign, who has been very good about keeping him on message and discipline, if he reels in some of his extreme rhetoric, because that's going to be the key in this uh, general election. What I think our poll is, is significant for one reason. It's, I view this as a snapshot in time. Uh, Biden has been ahead in these polls for months, and now it's basically a statistical dead heat. The good thing for Trump is this is a national poll from the Trump campaign. You look at a lot of the state-by-state polls in these battleground states, uh, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, uh, Nevada, North Carolina. Trump is ahead five, six, seven, Mm -hmm. eight points in a lot of these polls, and that is good news for Trump. On Alice's point, uh, it is not sufficient for Biden to be tied going into this election. Biden has to win by three or four points because of the way votes are distributed. If he's going to win the Electoral College, remember, he won by 7 million votes last time, but only 44,000 in the three closest states. he's concerned so about he, that blue wall, and yeah. that's why he's in Michigan, right? Yeah. I mean, these are, these are states he can't afford to lose. We got another set of pretty extraordinary numbers uh, this week. New filings showing that the former president spent more than $50 million on legal fees. Um, We heard from his GOP challenger, Nikki Haley, uh, just a short time ago. She spoke with our our Jake Tapper and she commented on it. Let's take a listen. It is unconscionable to me that a candidate would spend $50 million in legal fees. It explains why he's not doing many rallies. He doesn't have the money to do it. It explains why he doesn't want to get on a debate stage because he doesn't want to talk about why he's doing it. It explains why he had a temper tantrum, um, you know, the election night of New Hampshire is because he wants me out of the race and he wants to be the presumptive nominee so that all of that cash starts going to him and he doesn't have to spend anymore. But that's a reality of a real big problem for Republicans going forward. You know, these are political contributions also. This is not this is not out of his pocket. These are people who are thinking they're helping Trump uh, win the election. 2024. Right. And so instead, it's going to his legal fees. Now, I don't know whether a lot of them would object to that or not object to that. We don't we don't know the answer to that. But there's going to be more money that's got to go to his legal fees. We know he doesn't like to pay his lawyers, but when it's not coming out of his own yeah. pocket, the same why day, not? The same day these numbers appeared, there was a report that the main super PAC supporting Joe Biden has, has planned a $250 million media buy later in the year for his campaign. So this resource thing may uh, end up being a, a part of the equation. The thing about Haley and her comments is that this has been true throughout the campaign. She's kind of getting to, she's catching up with the story late here. But if you look at this poll, we also talked about her standing and the advantage that Donald Trump has and he'll continue to have through the primaries into the general is Republicans like him. Mm-hmm. Republicans they, they like, like him. But yes. to, to Gloria's point, Alice, how do they respond when they see that their hard-earned dollars are going not towards the campaign specifically, but towards defending him in court? Look, but what's un- it's not unconscionable that he's spending money on these legal fees. What's unconscionable is that people continue to give money to him knowing exactly where it's going. They do not care. They will continue to give him money. And we're not talking about just big donors. We're talking about small dollar contributions 
people give to him because they buy into his lie that there was widespread voter fraud. He was the duly elected president, and they buy into his lies that all of these legal issues facing him and all of the, the prosecutions against him are part of the weaponization of the DOJ. He is a victim of an overzealous prosecution, and they're coming after him. Next, they will go after, after the American people. They believe that. So they see this as an investment in he's, what they the, see the as democracy. The thing about this is that there's this rumor that he's a billionaire. And I'm kind of wondering if you're a billionaire, why you can't pay your own legal bills. Because you don't like to. A, you don't like to part with your own money. That's, he's kind of famous for that. Yes. Right? That's how yes. rich people get rich. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you all. Richer, Appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> and just ahead, we will go live to that high-stakes battleground state of Michigan, where President Joe Biden is trying to lock in votes that the former President Donald Trump is trying to peel away. And next, breaking news on the newest legal turn for the former chief financial officer of the Trump Organization, now in talks to plead guilty to perjury. We all do things our own way. And since the way that each of us sleeps is unique, you need a bed that fits you just the right way. Sleep Number smart beds make your sleep experience as individual as you are, using cutting-edge technology to give you effortless, high-quality sleep every night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, during Sleep Number's President's Day sale, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed plus special financing for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. See store for details. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. This week on Chasing Life, I sit down with Giles Yeo. It is a problem of our brain influencing the hunger. So hunger is a brain scenario, even though the feeling of hunger comes from your stomach. It's a very new and provocative way of thinking about a condition that impacts more than 40% of Americans. But the thing is, this approach could have big consequences for the way that we treat obesity. Listen to Chasing Life wherever you get your podcasts. There is breaking news tied to one of the many investigations of Donald Trump and his business. A key figure now in talks to plead guilty to perjury. CNN's Kara Scannell has the details from New York. So, Kara, what are you learning? Yes, the sources tell CNN that Trump's organization's former chief financial officer, Alan Weisselberg, is in talks to potentially plead guilty to a perjury-related charge for testimony he has given in the New York Attorney General's civil fraud case. Now, he's in talks with the Manhattan District Attorney's Office, led by Alvin Bragg. You know, these talks are early, my sources tell me, and, you know, it's possible a deal is not reached. But it is important to note that Weisselberg is not going to be cooperating in the DA's investigation and prosecution of former President Donald Trump, who is set to go to trial next month on 34 counts of falsifying business records. This is all related to the hush money payment made to Stormy Daniels and the cover-up that is the you know reimbursement of those payments to Michael Cohen. Trump has pleaded not guilty to the charges. It is, though, looking like it may be the first criminal trial that the former president will face. Um, it's currently set for next month. So Weisselberg is not expected to be a witness in this case. It will, though, be the second time that Weisselberg will be pleading guilty or maybe pleading guilty to criminal charges. He already pleaded guilty to numerous tax fraud charges and did testify in a case against the Trump Organization entities. Uh, the entities were convicted. Um, it is not clear exactly what Weisselberg may say he 
perjured. Either, it, you know, this is, involves um, investigative testimony he'd given in the New York Attorney General uh, General civil fraud case, as well as his testimony on the stand last month. Uh, it's not clear exactly what statements he may be saying were false. Uh, and of course, we are waiting any day now for the judge to issue his ruling on the attorney general's case. They are seeking $370 million from a former president, as well as a ban from doing business in New York. Alex? All right, CNN's Kara Scannell in New York. Thanks so much for that report. So lots to unpack here uh, with our legal experts, Laura Coates and Elliot Williams. Thank you both uh, for joining me. Uh, Laura, scant details. We're mm -hmm. still trying to figure out uh, what happened here, what he may be pleading guilty, may, um, how he might have perjured himself. But as, as Kara just noted, this would be the second guilty plea by Weisselberg in as many years. You heard Kara say that he's not expected to necessarily cooperate. So how significant could this be? Well, this reduces his credibility now to zero. His usefulness as a witness in any trial, let alone whether he would flip on his boss, there's no real shock that he wouldn't now testify because he's got no credibility. If you have a perjury charge against you, let alone pleading guilty to it, it means a jury is not going to credit the statements that you've made, that there's very much reason to doubt anything you will say. It also goes to the heart of the matter in terms of the credibility of the overall organization and how nervous Donald Trump and his team need to be. He does have the keys to the castle. He might know where the bodies are buried financially. And to have him so unwilling to actually testify honestly and truthfully maybe shows you the scale of deception we're dealing with. And Elliot, answer that. If this just broke, so yeah. if you're Trump or his legal team and you look up and see that Weisselberg's potentially uh, going to, to plead guilty, how nervous should they be? I, I don't think they're any more nervous today, right now, than they were five or ten minutes ago. And here's why. He, it's not a cooperation deal, so he's not going to be coming in to testify against the former president or against the Trump organization about anything meaningful. Now look, there's, as Laura was saying, there's reputational harm here. It doesn't look good for the Trump organization. It doesn't look good for an insider of the former president. President, somebody that he's close to and has worked with and frankly defended for quite some time. But in terms of is this testimony that is going to sink the Trump organization or the former president, not at all. But Laura, how strange would it be for someone to plead guilty to something like this, to perjury, but, but then not cooperate after that? It tells you about the prosecutorial priorities, which, which frankly shift over time. Initially, it may have been that they sought him as a cooperator, that he may have been the link that they could not get anywhere else. But as time goes on and more evidence comes in and perhaps other corroboration may occur, you get deprioritized as a witness in the sense that they may no longer need you to actually indict or further their case. Remember, he was indicted even without the cooperation of Weisselberg in the past. So his utility as a cooperating witness went down immeasurably. Now with the per perjury, his utility is none, which tells you they have no longer any incentive now to give very favorable plea terms in sentencing. His usefulness is exhausted. One more thing to that point. Uh, to put him on the stand, you have to, in effect, vouch for him right. as a prosecutor. You have to, he's your witness, he's your case, and you are knowingly putting on someone who in prior testimony, so you're putting him on to testify in prior testimony, he lied. If you're a jury watching that guy, you're gonna, that, that shoots the prosecution's credibility, it shoots the prosecution's case, and it's just not useful. And as Laura had said, they were able to indict him without, I believe, the testimony of Alan Weisselberg. It's just not, not that useful. Do we, do, I, I, we don't know at this moment what he might, how he might have perjured himself, but given what we know he has said in the past, is, did he go out on a limb anywhere that would give an indication as to how he might have perjured himself? I'm eager to know the details of the nature of the plea charge that he may have. But remember, even if you're testifying in a civil lawsuit or a civil trial, 
criminal prosecutors are watching as it might relate to their own cases. And things you may say there, when you swear that oath, it could lead to you having criminal charges in the other context. So I do wonder if it's about his witness testimony in the civil fraud trial, that probe on a civil side, something different. But either way, it gives you just an indication that all ears and all eyes are watching at all times to figure out what exactly is being said in these courtrooms and how it might buttress other charges in other matters. And in that civil fraud trial, we are waiting to hear from the judge to, to, to determine whether or not Donald Trump is liable for some $370 million. When you hear this, um, that, uh, that, that Alan Weisberg, the former CFO, may plead guilty to perjury, what does that tell you about how seriously um, the attorney general and the prosecutors are taking these cases against Trump and his business. Look, they're all incredibly serious cases. Now, a case is only as serious as a case that can be held up on appeal. These are, a, a lot of subjectivity has gone into these verdicts. Uh, calculating these dollar amounts uh, was often a subjective uh, question. And, and I think they're going to have questions when these are ultimately appealed by the former president of the Trump Organization. But they're serious cases, and the prosecutors did their best, I think, based on what we've read and what we've seen, uh, you know, to, to bring as airtight um, lawsuits as they could have. And so you know, we'll see where things go from there. Yeah, Laura, we only have a couple of moments left, but, but Weisselberg already pled guilty. He spent yep. 100 days in Rikers Island. So if he were to plead guilty again to perjury, what time? What kind of time could he be looking at? It depends if it, if it comes from that same, what they call nucleus of facts, but something that actually already had the same overlap. And could it be already sort of time served or would it be additional time? If it's additional time, you've got a different carrot now hanging in front of a defendant who might not initially want to cooperate, but might be trying to avoid lightning striking twice. All right, some incredibly insightful analysis on this breaking news. Elliot Williams, Laura Coates, thank you very much. And Laura will be back tonight at 11 Eastern for Laura Coates Live. Just ahead, how President Joe Biden is dealing with multiple challenges in the key battleground state of Michigan. CNN is on the ground and a top Michigan Democrat will be joining us. Stay with us. And we are back with breaking news. CNN's exclusive new poll shows Donald Trump holding a narrow lead over President Joe Biden among registered voters nationwide. The poll underscoring challenges for the president as he's campaigning in a state that could make or break his reelection bid, Michigan. So let's get straight to CNN's senior White House correspondent, MJ Lee, who is in Detroit. MJ, this is such an important state for the president. What's his message been in Michigan? Well, Alex, this was clearly a victory lap of sorts for the president, uh, really wanting to celebrate that UAW endorsement that he received uh, last week and also very much a thank you visit. Campaign officials saying that nothing speaks louder than actually physically traveling and being on the ground to show that appreciation. And when we saw the president visiting a UAW union hall earlier and giving brief remarks, those remarks were clearly tailor made to try to appeal to these working class uh, union voters that he is going to be fighting for heading into November. Uh, he again described himself the most pro-union president. Uh, he gave this sort of populist, uh, made comments that were sort of populist in the theme saying, you know, the Wall Street didn't create the middle class. It was the uh, labor movement. And he also tried to tout the economic recovery under his watch. Take a listen. We now have, in large part because of you and organized labor, the strongest economy in the whole damn world. We do. We do. In the whole world. Inflation's coming down. Jobs are growing. We created 800,000 manufacturing jobs. Remember they told us we were dead. Manufacturing's dead in America. China was going to eat our lunch. Well, guess what, man? 
We don't taste that good. And the campaign, Alex, is very cognizant of the fact that Donald Trump is going to be courting uh, these very same voters. Uh, when you talk to campaign officials and allies uh, of this campaign, they'll say the next nine months are going to be really, really hard. The race is going to be very, very close. And I think that's why they recognize, obviously, that courting uh, some of these very uh, central and core supporters of the president's base, uh, people who turned out for him back in 2020, that that really is going to be so important to him him uh, having a victory going into November. Yeah, MJ, he may be taking a victory lap on the labor front, but at the same time, he's facing this major erosion of support among Arab American voters. Uh, how is he how is he handling that? Yeah, and that erosion uh, obviously is so critical and important here in Michigan, where there is such a sizable and significant uh, Arab American community and population. And that kind of discontent has been pretty visible these days when the president uh, has hit the road. And in fact, uh, he is currently making his third stop of the day uh, here in the Detroit area to meet with more UAW members. And you can see there uh, protesters uh, across the street uh, making their frustration and their anger at the president uh, quite visible. And, uh, you know, Alex, you know this better than anyone else. The White House has been really trying to push this idea that they are doing everything they can to work with the Israeli government, to coach them, to coax them uh, to work differently as they have proceeded with this war. And this is also why I think we saw the emphasis uh, on the executive order earlier today targeting some of these Israeli settlers who have uh, ha engaged in, they say, uh, violence, violent acts against Palestinians in the West Bank. So uh, these are some of the ways in which they are trying to deal with this issue. And they realize that it's going to be important to continue uh, having these conversations with Arab and Muslim uh, American leaders. That wasn't the case today, but they say that those conversations will continue in the months uh, coming. Alex? Yeah, we'll see if that executive order helps at all with that, uh, with that crucial voting block. MJ Lee in Detroit, thank you very much. And joining us now, a prominent Michigan Democrat, Congresswoman Debbie Dingell. Congresswoman, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Um, I want to talk about uh, Arab Americans in your home state in just a moment, but I want to start with this new CNN poll. He is campaigning, President Biden campaigning in Michigan today. Our new poll shows that he has higher unfavorability ratings than former President Donald Trump, who's facing, as you know, 91 criminal charges and was just told to pay more than $83 million for defaming E. Jean Carroll. So why do you think the former president has such a low uh, favorability, such a high unfavorable rating uh, uh, of President Biden? So I think it's very complicated, but I'm going to start with why today was so important, because I think he has done a great deal and people don't know it. I think a lot of other people take credit for road money, bridge money, getting leads out of pipe money, water that was done at the federal level. Money comes into the state and everybody else takes credit for it. But it was Joe Biden's leadership that got that. I, while the president, I said to him today, Mr. President, we have to do a better job of telling people what you've done. We need you to come uh, a, a little more uh, and, and help tell that story. But I, I plan on getting into every union hall throughout this state that I can between now and next November, because I think President Fain today, President Fain, when he did the endorsement last week, drew the contrast that people don't know. He gave states the facts. Too many workers don't have the facts, and we've got to do a better job of communicating that. Uh, 
I want to ask you about your, the, the Arab American voting bloc in your state. It is the largest in the country. They are furious with President Biden over his handling of Israel's war in Gaza, the support um, for Israel uh, in terms of weaponry and, and political and rhetorical support. So what do you think the president should be telling Arab Americans in Michigan to change their minds? Well, first of all, I, I'm, I'm just going to be candid. They're looking for a ceasefire. And I um, think that I think that what the, so many people need to understand. Look, I lived in Dearborn for 40 years. I, I know these people. They have all had families that have died. They've got families that are trapped there. They're getting. I get these calls that put me in tears of people that their families don't have food. They can't get health care. They're down to salt water. That's the and they don't even have salt water. So I think um, I had a very candid talk with the president today. Uh, and I think there are things that are happening that you got to when you're doing diplomacy aren't always publicly stated out there. I think his policy people have got to spend time with this community and talk to the leaders. And I think this it, it, it's a very important uh, discussion that has to be had. And then when they see that policy, they see what's happening. Then they got to go back and remind themselves of all the things that Donald Trump has said about them. Uh, and uh, really do a comparison, but not until some real groundwork has been laid. And when you spoke with the president, did you tell him that he needs to call for a ceasefire? Do you have any sense that that is something that he may do? I think conversations are private, but anybody who knows me knows that I tell people exactly what I think and what's happening. And I was candid like I always am. All right, Congresswoman Debbie Dingell of Michigan, thank you very much for your time tonight. Thank you. And coming up, the mother of a Michigan school shooter takes the stand in her own defense in a historic trial as she tries to avoid criminal liability for her son's heinous crime. We are following breaking news out of Michigan, where the mother of high school shooter Ethan Crumley took the stand in her own defense today in what is a historic case that is testing the limits of criminal liability for a mass shooting. CNN's Jean Casares has been following this trial for us. So, Jean, update our viewers on what Jennifer Crumbly said today. Well, the prosecution is trying to show that Jennifer Crumbly caused the death of those four students that died in the Oxford school shooting because she was a grossly negligent parent. Well, she tried to show the other side today in her testimony that they really had a normal family with a 15-year-old teenager son. Who is responsible for storing the gun? My husband is. Testifying for the first time. All right the mother of the Oxford, Michigan shooter who killed four high school students in 2021. I just didn't feel comfortable being in charge of that. It was more his thing. On the stand, Jennifer Crumbly, who's charged with four counts of involuntary manslaughter after she and her husband got their 15-year-old son a gun just days before the massacre. Crumbly has pleaded not guilty. Are guns your thing? Not really, no. Okay, but do you have awareness about guns within your home? I do. Crumbly, on the stand for hours today, testified, though, that she went to a shooting range with her son just days before the massacre. The defense doing its best to portray Jennifer as a normal mother. Every year for around uh, Thanksgiving, I always cook Thanksgiving dinner. Um, the day after, we would go cut our Christmas tree down. He was a big history buff. Um, we can play Trivial Pursuit, and he would get me in history every single time. 
also revealed in court before Crumbly took the stand, journal entries of the shooter just days before he opened fire, killing four classmates. He writes, I have zero help for my mental problems, and it's causing me to shoot up the effing school. My parents won't listen to me about help or a therapist. The journal seen here was found in the shooter's backpack that he brought with him that morning, spilled out on the school's bathroom floor. Jennifer Crumbly testified her son, however, never asked her to get help for mental health issues. Do you recall there ever being a time where he asked you for go to go to a doctor or to get help and you said no? No. Or left at him? No. There was a couple of times where Ethan expressed anxiety over taking tests, um, anxiety about what he was going to do after high school, but not, not to a level where I felt he needed to go see a psychiatrist or a mental health professional right away, no. Court opened today with Crumbly breaking down in tears as the lead investigator describes the minutes before her son killed Madison Baldwin, Tate Meyer, Justin Schilling, and Hannah St. Juliana on November 30th, 2021. At the very end, you can see the beginning, that, that's Madison Baldwin um, walking up the hallway. The prosecution this week retracing Jennifer Crumbly's steps as she made her way to the sheriff's department after her son was arrested. Why? Why? I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. <laughs> On Thursday, Crumbly described what her son said back to her. When we were at the substation, I asked my son why, and he said, because I just did. Jennifer's husband, James Crumbly, is scheduled to go to trial on the same charges in early March. He, too, has pleaded not guilty. And court will reconvene first thing tomorrow morning. Now it's cross-examination by the prosecutor to Jennifer Crumbly. It is going to be aggressive. It could be scathing. Will she stand up to that prosecutor? Because it will be the other side of the story. Just an extraordinary case. Gene Casares, thank you very much for that report. And just ahead, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin taking questions from reporters for the first time since his controversial hospitalization. The latest details on his health and his apology to President Biden. That's next. The defense secretary, Lloyd Austin, took questions from reporters today in his first news conference since being hospitalized earlier this month with complications from prostate cancer treatment. CNN's Oren Lieberman has our report from the Pentagon. At 10.30 in the morning, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin walked into the Pentagon briefing room. He moved slowly, visibly limping. In his opening remarks, Austin took full responsibility for the lack of transparency around his prostate cancer diagnosis and hospitalization. We did not handle this right, and I did not handle this right. I should have told the president about my cancer diagnosis. I should have also told my team and the American public. And I take full responsibility. I apologize to my teammates and to the American people. Austin last took questions from the media on board the USS Gerald R. Ford more than a month ago. It was two days before he first went to the hospital. He says his diagnosis with prostate cancer shook him, and he didn't want to burden others with his problems. It was a gut punch. And frankly, my first instinct was to keep it private. Austin was admitted to Walter Reed Medical Center on New Year's Day for complications from the procedure on December 22nd. In a 911 call, an aide asked for discretion. 
can I ask, like, can the ambulance not show up with lights and sirens? Um, we're trying to mm -hmm. remain a, a little subtle. Austin says there was no order given to keep the hospitalization secret. To answer your question on whether or not I directed uh, my staff to conceal my hospitalization from anyone else, the answer is no. Austin says he apologized directly to President Joe Biden for not telling him about his diagnosis, but he says he didn't consider resigning. On January 8th, Austin's chief of staff, Kelly Maximin, ordered a 30-day review of notification procedures. The 30-day review is due in a matter of days now, uh, I think less than a week if I'm not mistaken. Do you commit to making that review public? I commit to being uh, as, as transparent as possible. There'll be um, elements of this that are classified. But uh, we're committed to sharing uh, as, as much as possible, as soon as possible. Austin's press conference comes as the administration promises to respond to a drone attack Sunday that killed three U.S. service members in Jordan, as well as more than 165 other attacks on U.S. forces in the Middle East. The White House said it holds Iran ultimately responsible for arming and supplying the militias that have launched the attacks. The U.S. has promised a multi-phased response, one that officials say will be more powerful than previous strikes in Iraq and Syria. I don't think the, uh, the adversaries are of a one-and-done mindset. Uh, and so uh, they have a lot of capability. I have a lot more. Just like President Joe Biden, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin made it clear that a U.S. response is coming. He wouldn't give away exactly what that response would look like, except, except to underscore that part of the goal here is that the U.S. has already taken away some capabilities from these militias. Now, given the attacks we've seen and the deadly drone attack on Sunday, it's time to take away more of those capabilities. Also, sources familiar with U.S. intelligence say there are signs that Iran is growing nervous by the actions of its proxies in the region, including the continued attacks on U.S. forces. The real question, though, Alex, does Iran have the leverage over these proxies to get the attacks to stop? And that is a major question. It certainly is. Orly Lieberman at the Pentagon. Thanks very much. Coming up, major questions about the war in Ukraine, as President Zelensky is expected to fire his top military commander. We all do things our own way, and since the way that each of us sleeps is unique, you need a bed that fits you just the right way. Sleep Number smart beds make your sleep experience as individual as you are, using cutting-edge technology to give you effortless, high-quality sleep every night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $15.99. Save $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.